Welcome back to Midnight Movie Theater. Tonight we're taking a look at The Handmaiden, a 2016 South Korean movie by director Park Chan-wook. This movie feels like a fairy tale. One of our main characters, Haidako, lives in a massive gated property with her evil uncle and a bunch of servants. She's not allowed to leave the property and keeps to a strict daily routine that includes reading to her uncle. On the other hand, we have Count Fujiwara and Suki, who have come up with a plan to gain Haidako's trust only to betray her, stealing her fortune and leaving her in a worse place than she already is. So this movie is split into three distinct parts. Each chapter gives more detail about what's going on in this story. The first two show us how our main characters meet and gives us hints about what kind of relationship they have together. The third chapter really just wraps it up. Another thing worth noting, this movie takes place in 1930s Korea, which at the time is being occupied by Japan. The Japanese subtitles are in yellow and the Korean in white. This difference in culture is another layer of status that this movie adds. I'm going to go ahead and get into spoiling everything, so if you've been interested in checking this one out, it's probably best done without knowing what happens. It's about two and a half hours long, and it's an Amazon original, so if you have a Prime account, it's included. Part 1, we're following one of our main characters, Suki. We see her getting ready to leave for a journey. She hands a baby off to an older woman and they quickly say their goodbyes. We find out later that this is her aunt who runs an orphanage. Suki is driven to her new home and it gives you a good idea of how big the property is. She wakes up as they pull up to a gate that has to be open for them and the driver tells her to go back to sleep because they still have a ways to go. All the shots while they're driving are amazing. When Suki arrives, she's greeted by Miss Sasaki who shows her around the house. Sasaki is a a little cold and kind of gives her a rundown of the rules and what the routine is. Suki is the handmaiden to the owner's niece. She sees that she'll be staying in a small bed across from Haidako's room. It's pretty much a closet with a small bed shoved in it. Suki tries to peek into Haidako's room before going to bed and is scared by a banging noise. She runs into her bed and quickly tries to fall asleep. Not too long after this, Suki is woken up by Haidako's screams. She rushes in and tries to comfort her by giving her sake in bed and singing to her. We learn that before this, Suki worked at the orphanage with her aunt. She's a talented pickpocket who has been able to tell a counterfeit coin since the age of five. Her mom died when she was young. She was a master thief, and she was eventually caught and hanged. Around this time, we also get the rundown on why Suki is working as Haidako's handmaiden. A man known as the Count is trying to seduce Haidako so he can run off with her inheritance. Haidako is set to marry her uncle, Master Kazuki. Kazuki is a very rich book collector. He has been training Haidako to read these books to a small audience so he can auction them off. Once the Count has convinced Haidako to run away with him and get married, he will have her committed to a mental facility and end up with her inheritance. Suki's job is to make sure Haidako falls in love with Count Fujiwara. Kind of nudge along this plan and make sure it doesn't fall through. She is promised a pretty hefty reward if everything goes as planned. Suki is in Haidako's room. They become chummy pretty quick. Haidako is reading Suki's reference letter and asks if she can read it to her. Suki never learned to read and Haidako offers to help. She also notices that Suki is missing a shoe. One of the other maidens played a prank on Suki by leaving it out in the rain. Haidako offers her a pick of any pair of shoes she'd like. Haidako reveals that her aunt hung herself from the cherry blossom tree that you can see from her window. Then she's like, well I'm off to do some reading to my uncle. Come get me at noon and be sure to knock. 
While Haidako is off doing her reading practice, Suki starts digging around her closet, trying on a bunch of hats and clothes. She finds in one box there is a really big, neatly wrapped up length of rope. When Suki goes to retrieve Haidako, she doesn't knock, instead just whips the door open and tries to walk in. Kazuki hollers at her to watch out for the snake. She looks down and there's a golden cobra right in front of her. She screams and while that's going on, Haidako shuffles to a switch that sends a gate closing shut in front of her face. There's some supervillain type shit going on with this uncle. He takes some sort of a pill and it shows that his tongue is very black. Next scene, Suki is giving Haidako a bath to prepare her for a meeting with Count Fujiwara. She compares her to a baby from the orphanage. Haidako complains that one of her teeth is too sharp and hurting her mouth. Suki runs off to get something to smooth out the tooth. Some sort of tooth file, I guess. This might be the first time we notice there's some tension between these two. They share a long look at each other during this exchange. We see a series of scenes that go into greater detail about the Count's plan to seduce Haidako and how Suki can play a big part in this by being suggestive. This dude is really hamming it up in person. It kind of shows him planning out his lines and reactions when he sees her. Suki and Haidako are back in her room, trying on her outfits and getting dressed up for fun. After this, there are several scenes showing the Count's plan being put into effect. Although Suki is becoming less sure about this, it seems like she's falling in love with Haidako. One night, Haidako is ringing for Suki, but she doesn't answer right away. She rings the bell so much that it breaks. When Suki comes in, she scalds her for not getting her after her last reading. We kind of get the impression that Haidako has been taken care of like this her entire life. She asks, must I remove my makeup and change my clothes by myself? She asks Suki to get in bed with her. Haidako reveals that the Count proposed and lays out the plan of how they're going to run away together. Haidako is not so sure about the plan. She lets Suki know that she has a bad feeling about the Count. Then she explains her lack of experience with men. She's never left the property. Suki starts showing her how to kiss and eventually leads to them having sex. In the next scene, we see the Count giving Haidako painting lessons and really pushing hard to get Haidako alone. Suki knows what this means and is trying hard not to let it happen. Suki gets a stern talking to by the Count outside and is basically like, quit fucking up the plan. That night, Suki is massaging Haidako's feet and she's back to trying to convince Haidako to marry the Count. Haidako is like, what if I love someone else? She replies, you'll learn to love him. Haidako smacks the shit out of Suki three times in a row, grabs her and runs her out of the room, slams her in her closet and shuts the door. The next day, the uncle is leaving for a week, which will give them the perfect amount of time to make this plan happen. The uncle reminds Haidako that she has freedom for a week, but to never forget the basement. Very cryptic, but we'll find out about the basement soon enough. Suki is helping Haidako run away with the count. They run through some fields and meet up with him on a rowboat. I noticed that big rope from earlier is hanging on the cherry blossom tree. We run through a handful of scenes showing the Count and Haidako getting married. There's a pretty uncomfortable scene where Suki has to listen to them consummating the marriage through her bedroom wall. She obviously hates that she's going along with all this, but keeps trying to remind herself of the fortune she'll acquire. Quickly after this, some therapists show up and are asking Suki about Haidako's mental state. The Count drops off Suki's reward money and they are about to drive Haidako to the madhouse. When they get to the madhouse, Suki hugs Haidako one last time. Haidako quickly backs away and the workers at the mental facility start calling Suki Countess and ask her to come along with them. She's obviously confused by all this and starts yelling at the Count to tell them the truth. They say, poor Countess still believes she's a handmaiden. They grab Suki and wrestle her inside. And that's how part one ends. 
In part two, we flash back to Heideko's childhood. So far, we've only known her to be meek and somewhat naive, mostly due to her never being allowed to leave her property and always having someone waiting on her day and night. Right away, we see Heideko as a young girl being restrained in her uncle's library. He has a rope with three metal balls on it. In present day, we saw that Heideko keeps this in her closet. The uncle takes one of the balls off and puts it in her mouth. With the other balls, he beats her knuckles over and over. After this, she's brought to her room by Miss Sasaki, who scares the shit out of her. Tells her there's an ogre in her closet, and if she makes a noise, it'll smother her with its giant body. At this time, her aunt is still alive. She opens the door, scaring them, and tells Sasaki to quit acting like such a little dick. The aunt gives Haidako a lamp to sleep with that night. The next day, we see the aunt giving Haidako reading lessons. They're mostly going over basic words like day and night, man and woman, stuff like that. They get to penis and vagina, and they both kind of giggle. The uncle is sitting across from the two, and he apparently doesn't think this is too funny. He walks behind them and grabs their faces, and just kind of squeezes and pushes on their faces for a while. They look pretty pissed about it, but as soon as he stops, they just continue with the lesson. We also see why his tongue is so black. He's writing with an ink brush and is constantly licking the damn ink. In another scene, the uncle is explaining to Haidako that he believes his training will keep her from being mentally ill. If he fails, they'll have to send her to a mental hospital in Japan. He starts explaining the treatment she'll receive there. Being stuffed in a hole and put on a leash made to walk around like a dog, the aunt starts tweaking out a little bit and runs for the door. Before she can make it out, Sasaki presses the button that slams the gate in her face. After this, it is revealed what kind of books Haidako is being trained to read. It's all just really old Japanese porn. We see the aunt doing a live reading of one of these books in front of a small crowd in the uncle's library. It's in a fairly dark room with a spotlight on her. She's dressed almost like a geisha. The men are there to bid on these rare books from the uncle's collection. Haidako is watching from the side, realizing this is what her future holds. It cuts from a shot of the aunt smiling at Haidako to a shot of the aunt hanging from the cherry tree. The only person who might be willing to protect little Haidako is dead. We flash forward to present day Haidako. She's hanging from the tree, but with her arms and not on a rope. The uncle's library is being set up for another reading. Count Fujiwara is one of the tuxedoed men. At some point, we find out that he is there to help the uncle make copies of his rare books so that he can scam the bidders into buying fake versions of the books and keep the authentic prints for himself. We see Haidako read from the book and what all the potential buyers are imagining. A lot of ass whipping. The uncle talks about how he acquired the book and shows that an illustration has been torn out. He then has a life-size wooden puppet brought out so that Haidako can recreate the illustration with the puppet. A little later, we see the Count and the uncle speaking privately. We learn that Sasaki was married to the Count before he left her for the aunt. He mostly remarried because the aunt is Japanese and he wanted to take her last name. He is a Korean man but wants to pose as Japanese. We also find out that Count Fujiwara fancies himself a ladies' man. He explains that when he meets a woman, he can tell if she'll sleep with him right away. If when they first make eye contact, she momentarily looks away. He explains that there's only one woman on the property who did not do this, and that is Haidako. In fact, when he first saw Haidako, he was the one that looked away. 
This little detail is relevant in another moment. I don't think I'm getting ahead of myself, but I believe when Haidako and Suki meet for the first time, they both look away from each other. Anyway, the Count and the uncle talk about how he is set to marry his niece. The Count tells him Haidako seems cold, almost lifeless in her eyes. The uncle explains it's from her intense training. Next, the Count finally has a chance to talk to Haidako about his plan. He wants to sneak her off of the property so that they can get married and split her inheritance. He knows she doesn't have any interest in actually being married, he's just in it for the money. Haidako starts to warm up to this plan because her only other option was to kill herself before she had to marry her uncle. She thinks back to a time when she asked her uncle about her aunt hanging herself. She says that she read when people are hanged, their tongues stick out and they poop themselves. Why wasn't her aunt like that? The uncle takes little Haidako down to the basement and shows her how her aunt really died. We only see Haidako's reaction. At first she says she can't go through with it because she believes that her uncle will find her and bring her to the basement. The Count offers her a vial of highly concentrated opium. A few drops will knock you out. The whole thing will kill you in minutes. It's disguised as a piece of jewelry. He says if the Count finds you, drink it and you will avoid whatever basement shit he has going on down there. With all that in mind, she's like, alright, I'm in. We need to find a handmaiden for me to swap places with in a mental facility so everyone thinks I'm locked away. This is where we see Suki come back into the picture. We get her introduction to her bed and see that the knocking that scared her was actually Haidako spying on her and banging on the door. We see that a lot of the helplessness from Haidako was to trick Suki into thinking that she is naive and will be an easy victim for the plan that the Count has presented her. The letter that Fujiwara wrote as a recommendation letter were actually more instructions on how to manipulate Suki also explaining she is illiterate and gullible. The small differences in these scenes really add a lot, not just to the plot, but also to these characters. It completely changes everything. In the scene where Haidako is bathing, she asks Suki to join her, and she does. Haidako comes off as very cold, and the plan seems to be going as expected, until a scene where they're talking about how they both grew up without mothers. Suki comforts Haidako, and it makes her wonder if this is what companionship feels like. There are a lot of scenes that show the conversations Haidako and the Count are having when they are appearing to be intimate in part one are only about how much the Count wants the money and Haidako is disgusted by the Count and all the men in her life. When we see the scene where the two women kiss and have sex, it's much longer in part two, and shows that things get a lot more intense than we're led to believe. Suki tells Haidako that she wishes she could breastfeed her. It's something she mentions at the beginning of the movie when talking about the babies at the orphanage. She wishes she could feed them with her own milk. There's a warmness to Suki that shows her desire to take care of people. This scene being longer doesn't feel like it's just for horniness's sake. It shows that during this exchange, the two are given the chance to step outside of the scheme for a moment and express who they really are. I think there's been glimpses of this, but this seems to really confirm that there is a connection between the two. They love each other, or at least have some strong feelings that go beyond money and power. With that in mind, the scene where Haidako slaps Suki after she's still trying to convince her to marry the Count makes a lot more sense. She also overhears Suki and the Count talking about her behind her back and kind of reassuring that their plan is still going to go through. Part 2 lets us know that Haidako has gotten really good at sneaking around this place. In almost every conversation without her in it, we see her hiding somewhere listening in. Okay, so Haidako is really trying to break the fourth wall and let Suki know that she knows about all this bullshit scheming and is willing to step outside of it if they can be with each other. Suki gets slapped. 
What we don't see in part one is that Heideko runs and grabs the rope from her closet. She ties herself up to the cherry tree and drops down to hang herself. Right before the rope reaches its slack, Suki catches her. Suki tells her she's sorry and admits that she's been tricking her. She reveals the entire plan that her and the Count were trying to complete. For the first time, Heideko calls Suki by her real name and lets Suki know that she's the one that's actually being tricked. All along, the plan was to replace her for Heideko in the madhouse. We see Suki writing a letter to her family back at the orphanage, letting them know of the change of plans. We skip forward to the uncle leaving for a week. Heideko shows Suki the library, and this is where Suki learns about the uncle's perversion and all the reading and training that Heideko has been put through. Suki destroys the whole damn place. She is throwing ink on the books, tossing them in water, tearing through scrolls and shit. She finishes it off by cutting the head off the cobra statue. After this, the two run away with their luggage packed. Then we cut ahead to Suki being locked away. This is the beginning of part three. Count Fujiwara is explaining his desire to become wealthy. Haideko finds out that he has also made an arrangement to have Suki killed. Lucky for her, her family sets the place on fire and helps her escape before this can happen. The Count also tells Haideko that he'd like to marry her for real. We cut to them at their hotel. Heideko brings him a drink with three drops from the opium vial. She's trying to convince him to drink it, but he's more worried about trying to seduce her. So she starts drinking it and spitting the poison into his mouth. She starts trying to get away, so he decides to do a rape. Good thing that opium kicks in and he passes out. She just put enough to leave him unconscious though, not to kill the dude. When he wakes up, there are two of her uncle's guards waiting for him with swords. They tie him up and go on a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder car ride. During the ride, the Count grabs three cigarettes from his pack and starts smoking them all at once, leaving two blue cigarettes left. We hear Heideko narrating a letter that she sent to her uncle. While she's reading this, we see Suki, her family, along with Heideko making a fake passport for her disguised as a man. She reveals to her uncle that he no longer needs to struggle to speak perfect Japanese in front of the Count because he is in fact the son of a Korean farmer. She writes to the Count that no woman wants to be taken by force and thanks him for bringing Suki to her. We see the uncle reading it and he has come unglued. His hair is all fucked up. He's in the basement with the Count strapped to a chair. There's a giant squid behind him in a large fish tank. He almost immediately starts cutting off the Count's fingers while announcing his favorite books that were destroyed. This is cut with scenes of the two women leaving for Shanghai. The uncle has people looking for them, but it looks like these two are going to make it. We catch some glimpses of some of the weird shit that the uncle has in his basement. It's like a bunch of dicks and stuff in jars. The uncle wants the Count to tell him a story about Heideko before he kills him. The Count agrees as long as he can have his cigarettes. He starts smoking the blue cigarettes as fast as he can, and we learn that the night that Suki heard them consummate the marriage was nothing more than an act. He doesn't tell the uncle this, though. He kind of puts on an act of his own to buy him some time. The uncle is getting extremely pervy about his niece. We see that the room is completely filled with thick smoke. The uncle is about to cut off Fujiwara's ding-dong when they both start feeling a little slow. The count reveals that the cigarettes were made of mercury and they'll both soon die. 
I like how this lines up with him having a vial of opium for Haidako earlier. The uncle dies and Haidako breathes in deeply, remembering some of the moments leading up to this. The movie ends with the two women having sex, using the metal balls on a string that were a torture device for Haidako earlier. Then we get the credits, with a really nice song. So one thing I didn't mention is that every scene in this movie looks amazing. It was really hard to explain what was going on without talking about how perfect this movie looks. The use of color complements every scene so well. It's a movie with a ton of little details, twists, and character development, but even if you've seen this once, I feel like it is very rewatchable just because of the way it looks. I have to watch more Park Chan-wook movies. This is the first one I've seen. I've had Old Boy, Lady Vengeance, and Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance on my watch list for quite a while, but I've never got around to them. I'm really looking forward to those movies and several others that I've been hearing about. Because there are so many amazing looking scenes, I wanted to point out three of my favorites. The scene where Suki is being brought to Haidako's. Just the drive there looks amazing. The use of green in this movie really stands out. I don't know how to explain it, but it just feels like one of those nature documentaries where the main focus is just to show how beautiful certain parts of the world are. Anyway, my number two would be the scene where Suki runs into the library unannounced. Just the way it's shot looks great. The camera runs down this long hallway towards the uncle and Haidako on their knees. The set is this very pristine Japanese library, and right away you can just tell that something weird is going on with the uncle. When he yells at Suki to watch out for the snake, I thought that shit was real because how fast the camera cuts are in this moment. Then the gate slams. It's just a lot thrown at you all at once and it brings up so many questions. The third one would have to be the scenes of them running away. Again, just the way the outdoors are shot looks so good. They run through these fields and end up in a canoe, rowing away through sunrise. It's all very impressive. The only thing that made this a little tricky on first watch was the subtitles. The subtitles seem to move very quickly and with how amazing this movie looks, it's hard to want to look at the bottom of the screen while there's so much going on above it. That can't really be considered a negative though. I watch a lot of non-English speaking movies and rarely have this problem. It's almost like when you put on a resume that your biggest weakness is that you work too hard or something like that. The movie looks so good you don't want to look away. This will be my last thing before getting into ratings that I noticed. It's mostly an observation. A day or two before watching this, I watched Solo for the first time. Some of the similarities really stood out to me. Honestly, they're pretty specific and I wouldn't compare the movies, but just that both movies are separated in three parts, and the uncle has some similarities to the horrible people in Solo. When it comes to storytelling, they're begging for every detail, even if it seems fairly irrelevant. They both seem to want to remain in an upper-class environment while performing torture for their amusement. Unfortunately, Solo doesn't have the happy ending that The Handmaiden does. As far as rating this movie, it gets 5 out of 5 gold cobras. It's a really great movie. Even if I just spoiled the whole thing for you, it's still worth checking out. Alright, let's find out what we're watching next week. The Dungeon Master from 1984, also known as Rage War. This movie has about 10 different directors attached to it, so I'll worry about naming all those fuckers later. That's gonna do it for me tonight. Share this show with your friends, rate, review, follow me on Instagram. Thanks for listening to Midnight Movie Theater. Until next time. (laughs) 